0: Let's continue on with our Bible reading now from Matthew 27, reading from verses 32 to 50. And you can follow it up on the screen or in the pew Bibles. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene, named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall. You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. He can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour Jesus cried out in a loud voice Elo ele, Lava samathani," which means My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit.
1: Friends, let's, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for its reminder specifically for us this morning of the amazing work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that our Savior paid the price for our sins, that he was crucified, nailed to the cross for a purpose, and that is to redeem us, to set us free, to bring us back into a living relationship with our true and almighty God. We ask your blessing upon us, Lord, this morning as we Look at this word. We pray you'll speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you're a visitor here with us this morning, a very warm welcome to you. And uh, we trust that you will enjoy being with us this morning. And uh, please join us as I set up the service opportunity for us to meet up with you as well. And thank you for taking the time uh, to come and be with us this morning. I also want to thank uh, Margaret uh, James for beautiful cross that is in the front of the entrance to the church. And we have here in front of us as well, three crosses. But we praise God that our Savior is not on the cross anymore. And we'll celebrate that on Easter Sunday. But for today, we're going to focus our thoughts this morning with a question. Maybe give me a question this morning. Why did Jesus die in our place? Why did Jesus die in our place? And I trust that at the end of this talk, That we will indeed have an idea and certainly be moved by the Spirit of God to have an answer to this question. Put another way, does his death by crucifixion have any specific relevance for us today and for the world that we live in in 2013? In other words, does the death of Jesus Christ really matter? Put it another way, who really cares? After all, does it really matter? What difference does the death of Jesus make in my life, in yours, and the world that we live in? Is this thing just another religious thing that we are supposed to be doing? If you listen to uh, some of the talkback programs on the radios... Uh, You would have heard the discussions in the past few weeks. It's about being religious. This religious thing that has been forced down my throat, someone said, and I don't want to have a bar of it. There's a massive debate going on today whether footy should be held on Good Friday. It doesn't matter to me what they do on Good Friday, but we are here this morning because of what Jesus has done for us. And it really does matter. It is a matter of life and death and eternity. And it is of importance because God has spoken. God has spoken clearly to this world. And he has spoken clearly to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And so today we gather on this special day, on Good Friday, to remember the murder of of our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross, the Son of God. And to help us look at this question, why did Jesus die in our place, we will look at the Gospel of Matthew, and in particular, Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabatani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me briefly outline a sketch of the events leading up to our passage this morning, the broader and immediate context. In the days leading to his death, Jesus was in the prime of his life. He has been for nearly three years exercising his very public ministry. His popularity had spread due to the amazing miracles he performed and the compassion that he showed to many. And as a result, the religious and political leaders resented Jesus. And so they set up a kangaroo court to try him for treason. His trial was a travesty of justice. And through false witnesses, the religious and political leaders secured The sanction of the Roman governor, as we saw in our passage this morning, to have Jesus murdered by crucifixion. And immediately after they secured his sentence, Jesus is flogged. What we see is a travesty of justice, mockery, laughter, flogging, and insults, and making fun of a man. Who is hanging on a cross? It is scandalous to say the least. And let me see what they did to Jesus. Very clear in the scriptures. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and there, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him, and took the reed, and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, and put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. So they made fun of Jesus. King of the Jews, they said. Indeed, Jesus was the King of the Jews. And little did the soldiers realize that in using these words, King of the Jews, that they were actually telling their friends the truth about Jesus. This is what a, a theologian by the name of Don Carson has called one of the ironies of the cross. By saying it, that he is the King of the Jews, little did they realize that they were in fact saying the truth. And then, We have this, he saved others and he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. Save yourself. There was both skepticism and cynicism. And little did they realize once again that they were indeed saying the truth because Jesus will save others by his death and resurrection. So they had heard about Jesus, these soldiers, They had heard about what he had done. They had heard about his miracles. They had heard about how Jesus touched and healed people. They had heard about the resurrection that Jesus had done to Lazarus. And now they were curious to see how Jesus would get out of this one. And having insulted him, they proceed to his crucifixion. See, crucifixion, friends, I've heard about that this morning. It was cruel. We see the appalling cruelty and grief surrounding the death of Jesus. The Bible tells us that after the flogging of Jesus, the soldiers forced Simon, a guy by the name of Simon of Cyrene, to carry the cross of Jesus. Possibly, possibly, because Jesus was so weak at the time. Crucifixion was also shameful and humiliating. Crucifixion was generally reserved for political or military criminals or those who had no rights under Roman law, whose lives were considered worthless. They were stripped. Those who were crucified were stripped naked. It would happen in a very prominent public location. The person was deprived of human dignity and value, and therefore crucifixion was Horrific, it was obscene, and crucifixion was a horrendous way for a person to die. The Greek philosopher Cicero says this about crucifixion that crucifixion is such an altogether horrific thing that decent Roman citizens shouldn't think about it and they shouldn't hear about it because it isn't fit for good. Decent, noble people. They shouldn't even hear about it. And the practice was largely stopped when Constantine outlawed it in 315 AD. But before then, it was widely practiced. And so Jesus faced the cruelty and the humiliation at the cross. And so we read these words in our text this morning. About the ninth hour, Jesus crying out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lema tabatani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So have you ever cried? Have you ever sobbed? I remember visiting a funeral parlor once, and this man was sobbing next to the coffin of his wife. I heard the sobs in the next room. It was all by himself. And the cries that came out from that room were loud cries. You know, it moved me. I still remember the situation clearly in my heart and in my mind this morning. A sob of cry. And the cry that we have of Jesus here is beyond that, friends. It is a loud cry. It's a cry from the Son of God. And for a moment, let's look at the cry of Jesus. Was this a cry of a self-pitying Jesus? Was it a cry of desperation? Was it a cry of surrender? Was it a cry of hopelessness? Of defeatism? No was none of those things, friends. This was a cry at the human level that demonstrated the pain that Christ endured. This was a cry to a loving father from his son. And this was a cry because Jesus knew at the time. This was a cry of spiritual darkness that was descending upon him and realizing the spiritual agony and the destruction of what we call sin, which I will touch in a moment. And it was a cry to his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is something that those who were crucifying, crucifying him, failed to see and understand. And it is something that the authorities failed to understand. And here in Matthew 27, 46, I want to say this to you this morning, friends. We see the fulfillment of one of many prophecies concerning the crucifixion of Jesus. And I want to say this, that this was part of God's greater plan. And so we read in Psalm 22 these words. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? Written by the psalmist, Psalm 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? from the words of my groaning. The so psalmist is saying that years and years before this. And if you read Psalm 22, which is, by the way, a messianic psalm, for those of us who understand the psalms, at the end of that psalm, there is a note of victory for the, for the psalmist because God has strengthened the psalmist to defeat the enemies. At the start, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a cry, dear friends, of trust in the Father. It is beyond description. I was reading one of these great writers, some of you might know him, J.C. Ryle. He says this, There is a deep mystery in these words, which no mortal man can fathom. They were meant to express the real pressure on his soul of the enormous burden of a world's sins. They were meant to show how truly and literally he was a substitute. He was made sin. He was made a curse for us. He endured God's righteous anger against the world's sin in his own person. So the cross of Christ is not an, was not an accident. It wasn't a mistake. It wasn't God's second plan. The cry of Jesus was not some kind of a weak and pathetic cry. This was a cry of a loving, submissive son to his father who knew the reason he came into this world. And in the end, God will lift up his son who will reign as the ultimate judge and will celebrate that on Easter Sunday. The cross is a planned event and I praise God for the work of Jesus on the cross this morning. Don't you? When Jesus was born, Matthew is a very interesting writer. Brings us into the Old Testament on many occasions. And this is what he said. When, when, when Jesus was born, Matthew chapter 1, uh, 21, 23, She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. But remember those words save his people from their sins. He came to save us from our sin. Now, what is sin? Right? Ministers can use the word sin, and it's perhaps a very dirty word. We all touch on the word sin. Oh, it's a terrible thing. It brings me down. It's not the psychological thing to do. It's a politically incorrect, insane thing to say in 2013. Surely, Chris, are you living in the dark ages? I'm not. Sin is rebellion against God. It's a rejection of God. Uh, it is saying, I did it my way. I was at a, a open... Uh, Lecture at the college PDC last week, Wednesday, Wednesday night. And the preacher spoke on 1 Corinthians 8. And at the end of his talk, he said, I want you to listen to a song. So we all sat there thinking, oh, we're going to get a spiritual song coming up here. That'll be nice. And he plays Frank Sinatra's song. I mean, I love Frank Sinatra. I love his music. Don't get me wrong. I think, wow, man, this is nice. And then he said, and now the end is near. But, right, I, I did it. My way. You see, sin is saying, I do things my way. Because it is about me. A world is about myself. Now friends, God does things His way. Right? And sin is turning our back on God and saying, I want to do it my way, God. Sin is disobedience against God who is holy and pure. And in Genesis, God told our first parents, Adam and Eve, if you sin, you will die. And we read that they disobeyed God. And, and in fact, therefore, their penalty for sin, their disobedience, the disobedience of Adam and Eve made all humanity sin. And so the Bible says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have turned our backs on God. Now there might be someone here this morning you might as well say to me, I don't agree with your definition of sin. I don't accept the concept of sin because I have done nothing wrong in my life, right? Okay? I have lived a good life. I have not hurt people. I have not robbed anyone. I have not deceived anyone. I haven't hurt my neighbor. So I am a good person. How dare you say I'm a sinner. I'm not saying it. God's word is saying it. So don't have the argument with me this morning. You sit down before God and, and deal with God, not with me, all right? You can come and talk to me, It's fine. But God's word is saying it. Someone might say that. I'm a good person. I don't sin. Well, if you take such a view, then I would suspect that you are in effect saying, I'm perfect. And I challenge you this morning to be able to look at yourself clearly in your heart and your mind and be able to say and repeat, I am perfect, I am perfect, I am perfect. If you're married, your wife will soon tell you, you're not. (laughs) Your children will soon let you know, dad, you're not. Your friends will let you know. Let me put the question this way. That means you're saying, I've never wronged, I'm perfect. Are you saying to me this morning that you don't have any bad thoughts? And if anyone was born perfect, how did our society become corrupt in the first place? Why is there crime? Why do we have police stations? Why is there jealousy? Why is there selfishness? Why do we gossip? Why is there envy and hatred? Why is there murder? Where did all of these things come from, friends? Was it from the outside? It comes from inside. Did you see that? Since the fall of Adam and Eve, we have inherited a corrupted condition called sin. And we all have a sinful nature. And therefore, the penalty for sin is death. Spiritual death, separation from God, and physical death. And this is why there is death, friends, and sin is a crime. It is a crime against God, who is a just, holy, and loving God. And therefore, the justice of God had to be met. And Good Friday is all about good news. All right? So you remember this. Good Friday equals good news. Summary message of the sermon this morning. Good Friday equals good news. Good Friday is not this religious thing or oh, this religious thing that I have to do to make me feel good or oh, the this, this church just gathers. You know, God does not worry about religious people. He wants people who have a relationship with him, right? That's what it is. You see, God has provided the solution for our sin and he sent his sinless son into the world. And, um, and that's what we see. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Greater love has no one than this that He lay down His life for His friends. This is the love of God, friends. So why did Jesus die in our place? He died as our substitute. He gave His life so that we can be reconciled to Him. He gave His life so that we can have a relationship with God. He gave His life so that we can be forgiven our sins. He gave His life so that the wrath of God that I deserve for my sin was taken once and for all by Jesus upon the cross as our substitute. And when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God turned his face away from his son. He sang that. How deep the father's love. And this was a loud cry of Jesus. and God was completely silent. Why? Why? Jesus experienced, friends, at that moment in his humanity abandonment and sorrow for the weight of, his, of our sins. And the Father turned his face away from his only Son because at that very moment Jesus bore the wrath of the Father for our sins. And Martin Luther puts it this way Our most merciful Father sent His only Son into the world and laid upon Him all the sins of all men, saying, You be Peter, that denier, Paul, the persecutor, blasphemer, and cruel oppressor, David, that adulterer, that sinner who ate the fruit in paradise, that thief who hung upon the cross, and briefly, You be the person who has committed the sins of all men. See therefore that you pay and satisfy for them. Wow! A sinless Savior, a selfless Savior, a servant Savior, a sacrificial Savior. We could have never paid the price for our sin, could we? Someone asked me this past week a good question. Why did God have to send His Son to be crucified on the cross? Couldn't God have done it another way? Have you thought about that? The Bible tells us this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. How about you this morning? If Jesus did not die in our place, then we will suffer the consequence of my sin, of our sins. We will never know God's love. We will never have eternal life in heaven. We will all face eternal hell. We will die in our sins. The good news, friends, on this Good Friday is that on the cross, Jesus paid in full the penalty for our sin. On the cross, he stood in my place and yours. On the cross, God was satisfied in the sacrifice Jesus made as our substitute. On the cross, Christ's blood washed away my sins and He washed away the guilt of my conscience and my sin that burdens me down. And the moment we believe in Him, we stand forgiven. So I want to ask you this morning, what does the crucifixion and death of Jesus mean to you today? Maybe it's the first time you've heard this message. Forget about the church. Now People equate lots of things with the church. I want to ask you this morning, how is your relationship with Jesus? You see, Good Friday is not a religious day. I I, I don't like that phrase. It's a day about Christians and God and, and people to recognize what Christ has done. It is a day that we recall the crucifixion of the sinless Son of God for our sin. It is a day of redemption. It is a day to remember the serious, I call this a very serious transaction by God himself with fallen humanity through his Son. It has cosmic implications for the whole world. My question to you this morning is, do you know Jesus Christ as your Saviour? You want to know God? Then you come to Jesus. You want to have a relationship with God? Then you open your heart to Jesus this morning. See, God has spoken. You don't need to look anywhere else. He has spoken. The eyewitness accounts of this is incredible. You'll read later on in the Gospel of Matthew. There was darkness. The tombs were opened. The curtain in the temple was torn. The guards were astonished. They said, truly, this is the Son of God. Eyewitness accounts. It's historical. It is factual. It happened. There were eyewitness accounts. They saw it. It is recorded by Josephus and other historians about Jesus. His death it written in Scripture as well. What do you do when you die? What happens to you? With your sin, you will not see God. But when you believe in Jesus, wow, he calls you now to a relationship with him. And friends, this morning, I want to say to you this morning to know and to experience God's love for you. Because you are precious in his sight, each and everyone that he has created. And God wants us to have a relationship with you this morning. And I don't know what else I can say, but I just encourage you this morning. I plead with you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, to give your life to him today. Don't miss the point of the cross of Christ this Good Friday. Don't miss it. And to those of us who know Christ this morning, that may our hearts be filled with gratitude for all that he has done for you and for me. I want to close with this illustration. Yesterday, I was out last morning, um, went out for a coffee somewhere, and while we were having a coffee, uh, while I sat there at the table, there was a Chinese lady, a Chinese lady, she was going around, everyone. You know what she was doing? Remarkable. She was giving Bible tracks about Jesus' love for us and a message of Good Friday. Where? In the shopping center. In the in the food court. Smackers and hungry jacks and all of this. This lady is going around. Because I was so moved. I wanted to go and talk to her. She bought a coffee and she was sitting there. I thought, no, I better not do this. Oh wow. Move to share the good news. You know, how about you this morning, friends? Do you know God's love for you? You don't have to do a thing. Your sins will be washed away now. It will be done and it has been done. Completed, sealed, delivered. All you need to do is say, Lord, forgive me my sins. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and transform my life. And he will do it. Now, this morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you love Jesus Christ, you know that he died for your sins, then celebrate it with us. Because Christ's body was broken. His blood was shed for your sins and for mine. What an amazing God, eh? What an amazing God, yes? Praise him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that Jesus died in our place as our substitute. That he took upon himself our sins. And he's opened the way to have a relationship with God, the one who made the heavens and the earth. I pray this morning, if there is anyone here today who's never heard this message, perhaps, perhaps it's the first time, I pray today that in the quietness of their hearts, they may pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins at the cross. I repent of my sins, and I thank you for your love for me. Lord, I ask you to come into my life right now to forgive me and to cleanse me. That I will live my life for Jesus from now on. Thank you for all that you've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen.